And so if you're moderating a group of 30 something year old black women, you know, about a brand campaign strategy that's very targeted towards that age group, right? Let's say 35 to 44. So you want a similarly aged black woman moderating the discussion. And it's not because it's not that someone else, a white male couldn't understand any aspect of the conversation or what they may hear, but it's because there are certain nuances, right? We try to, we need to understand that that woman, that moderator, that's that 30 something year old black woman that fits into that target is also going to understand how to navigate those nuances in language and conversation, right? That someone else that's not necessarily in that group may understand. And I think we have to, we have to really understand and, and not pretend that everybody walks this same journey. Welcome to Inclusion and Marketing, the show that's all about helping you develop the skills and insights you need to win the attention, adoration, and loyalty of more consumers, especially those with differences that are often ignored by brands. I'm your host, Sonia Thompson, an inclusive brand coach, strategist, and someone with a lot of differences. Let's get to it. Okay, I've got another podcast recommendation for you. It's Latinx in Power, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. This podcast features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insight from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their fields. I like listening to this podcast because I like hearing from a broad diversity of voices and hearing from and learning from their experiences. One episode I'm super excited to dive into is the latest one, Lead Generation Journey with Glenville Dixon Jr. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcasts. My parents watch Luna for me while I'm working. And part of the routine when I go and pick her up at the end of the day is I sit down and we watch an episode of Family Feud. And when it's over, that's Luna's cue that it's time to go. I mean, she won't even put her shoes on before it's over, but that's a different conversation for a different day in the world of Toddlerville. So anyway, there are many times while watching the show where Steve Harvey will read off a question and me and my parents will say various answers. And then we look at the responses and we're like, who did they ask these questions to? We say that because, of course, the way Family Feud works is they survey 100 people to get the answers that they're using for the show. But sometimes we are so perplexed by the answers and they are so different from the answers we would give. And it just goes to show that perceptions, ways of thinking, and of course, lived experiences can be very different based upon different identities. Every time that happens, I always go back to inclusive marketing, of course, and the way brands go about getting insights that inform the decisions they make and how they show up in the market. The insights and data points you have are foundational to the degree of customer intimacy you have that impacts how well you're able to make the people you serve feel like they belong. Because getting the right insights are so essential, I wanted to bring in an expert on that topic. So I sat down and chatted with Renita Bryant, CEO of SiteSet, a consumer-centric market research consultancy. We covered a lot of ground. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Renita. 
Hello, Renita. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Hi, Sonia. I'm great. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, it's my pleasure. Well, we've got a juicy topic here today, and I want to make sure that we get into it and get plenty of time. So before we do that, please tell the people, who are you and what do you do? I am the chief consultant of SightSet Consulting. Um, it's a full service uh, market research and consumer insights company. Uh, we worked on projects uh, from everything from landscape assessments and market analysis to um, campaign naming, brand names, um, brand equity, advertising effectiveness. Um, and our clients range from small businesses to multinational corporations, nonprofit, grant-making organizations, and even religious institutions like churches. You work with everybody, basically. <laughs> Sounds like some of everybody. <laughs> okay, well, that's good because it just shows that so many people are interested in gathering insights to help them make decisions about how to run their brand. So I want to ask you less about the role of insights, but more of what is the role of market research in building an inclusive brand specifically? Of course, I may be a little bit biased, but I think um, I think insights is really the backbone of building an inclusive brand. You can't really design a product or a service for your target market, right? If you don't get to know them, who are they, right? How do they see themselves? Um, what do they need? Uh, what problems do they face? What or who influences them, right? How do they spend their time from day to day? And I think that, you know, a brand really serves that purpose in connecting this idea that someone has for a product or service with the execution of that idea. And it's really about making sure that your specific audience knows that this is for them. And if you don't know your audience, if you don't know how to speak to your audience, if you don't know what matters to your audience, then how would your audience know that you're speaking to them? Because you're probably not speaking to them in a language, right, that they can authentically hear and understand. And so how can you make sure that your brand is thriving? So I think having that insight and having that connection to your, having an inclusive view of research and having that connection with your um, your target is important for any brand. And I think when it really comes to market research as well, it navigates kind of that who, that how, right? The what, the where, the why, the when for the brand. And I think if you're thinking about brand inclusivity, your brand has to be designed effectively, right? And it has to be designed in a way that's, um, your market research has to be also included in a responsible way so that you don't leave people out. You want to make sure that you bring all of your consumers, your target to the, to the table. And I think you want to co-create with all of them without trying to exclude or having to exclude any of them. All right. So you said a lot of good stuff um, there. But one thing that I want to make sure that we highlight before we dig into some of the others mm -hmm. is basically what you talked about is customer intimacy. Customer intimacy is one of the pillars of the framework for building an inclusive brand. And it seems to me that whenever we find brands getting into trouble they have insensitive marketing, advertising campaigns, whatever. They're doing something culturally inappropriate. They have to apologize for. In most instances, I find is because they have a customer intimacy problem. They don't know that the people that they're trying to reach well enough, which probably means that they could have used insights to help overcome that. <laughs> Good point. I agree. I agree. I agree. All right. One of the things that I've been talking about quite a bit this year, because I've been noticing just how important it is. So as brands are starting to reach out to different types of customer groups, mm -hmm. um, 
to understand, develop that deeper degree of intimacy with them. Um, sometimes you're going to want to do interviews, focus groups as a way to, you know, get to know them better. What I've been finding is that making sure that you incorporate representation in who is going to be um, doing the interviews is super helpful in get, helping you get the insights that you need. Have you been seeing this playing out with all the research that you've been doing? So, yeah. So first, I mean, this plays out regularly in our work and everything that we do. Well, let me say this. We always talk about how people buy from brands and people that they know, like, and trust, right? And I think our our natural, our human nature is to gravitate towards people that we feel some sense of connection to. And the more connection points that we can create with someone else, the faster that knowing, liking, and trusting happens. And connection points are things like um, life stage, gender, age. It could be race, ethnicity, um, hobbies, right? So on. And when we're looking at and thinking about focus groups, moderators have a very short window to try to create connection and get people to, to lower their guards, to open up and start sharing authentically. And so when that means that that connection, of course, needs to happen very fast, right? Because you normally have maybe 45 minutes, maybe an hour, hour and a half. And so now you need to almost become not best friends, but you need to become Moderators need to have that audience become very comfortable with them in a very short period of time. And so if you're moderating a group of 30-something-year-old Black women, you know, about a brand campaign strategy that's very targeted towards that age group, right? Let's say 35 to 44 or so, you want a similarly aged Black woman moderating the discussion. And it's not because it's not that someone else, a white male, couldn't understand any aspect of the conversation or what they may hear. But it's because there are certain nuances, right? We try to, we need to understand that that woman, that moderator, that's that 30-something-year-old Black woman that fits into that target is also going to understand how to navigate those nuances in language and conversation, right? That someone else that's not necessarily in that group may understand, and I think we have to we have to really understand and, and not pretend that everybody walks this same journey, right? That everybody that, you know, um, even though we don't look alike, we're all having the same experience. We're really not all having the same experience. And even for some of us that still may look alike in terms of the complexion of our skin, our experiences can still be different. So we still need to, again, dig in deeper and make sure that we're trying to create as many connection points with the consumers that we're trying to learn from and, and connect with and talk to as much as possible. And I think, you know, we can't really keep having this rep strategy, this TM or GM or total market or general market companies use different terms. We can't really have this approach because as you mentioned, that's when you get into debacle after debacle after debacle, <laughs> all of these campaigns, right? And all these ads and just this messaging and from everything, from what you see on television to online to on the company's websites, we, we have an assortment, a variety of examples of these debacles over the last few years. And so it really, not just showing up as the moderator, I think that's a great point. We need to have people in front of these consumers that they can connect with very quickly, that they feel like they can understand and that they feel like understands them. So that's one less barrier that's getting in the way of the brand learning. Got it. And I imagine it's not just at the moderator, like having a moderator that is representative of the people that you're interacting with seems like it's a very important thing. Definitely, absolutely do that. But there are other aspects of it because I imagine even like discussion guides and analyzing the information, is that part of it as well? We need representation from start to finish. Okay. (laughs) Right. I think companies, 
you know, honestly, as as a as the owner of a research company and we, you know, moderate different discussions and we have a lot of different consumer interviews that we lead, I think there are more companies that, especially over the last year, that are starting to bring in more Black or African-American moderators, Hispanic, Latino, Asian-American faces right there, putting them in front of consumers that at least from a phenotypical level, there's a connection point. But I think that they're leaving these same voices out of the room, out of the discussions when it comes to other major aspects of the work, right? And to your point, you know, uh, representation matters when it comes to creating and developing discussion guides, when it comes to designing the research, when it comes to surveys, like developing surveys, analyzing the data, if it's quant research, analyzing the consumer feedback for qualitative interviews. And also when we think about advertising agencies, right, we forget that it needs to be a pull-through strategy. So when you're talking about going to market, let's not forget that the agencies that are going out there executing on what you've learned in the research also should, in ways, you need to make sure you bring all these different voices and representation to the table in terms of having agencies that represent, let's say, even Black black communities, right? Hispanic or Latino communities, um, Asian communities, like making sure if you're trying to speak to these consumers, are you having people that have invested the time, expertise, and resources into getting to know these consumers on a deeper level? So I think that's all important. I, and I'll tell you, I think one of the things, you didn't ask me, but I want to throw this in as a, as a <laughs> researcher, because I've been on both sides. I've been outside as a, as a vendor, as a market research vendor, right? Working with companies and, and brands. And I've also been inside in my corporate life um, in another lifetime, right? Working on the brand teams. And what I have seen in both scenarios, both examples, is there's another aspect that, that's a layer that we don't talk about. But it's just in general, I've seen very overly ambitious ABMs and marketing managers um, half listen to focus groups, right? And they then go create a go-to-market plan that's based on an idea or what they wanted to execute long before this research was even fielded. Regardless of representation, there's already a breakdown because of ineffective listening, right? And an implementation issue overall. So then when you start layering in and adding this inclusion of non-white faces only as a moderator, but nowhere else on the continuum in the continuum of this project or along the continuum, I think that that breakdown just gets deeper and deeper and becomes more problematic. And so to me, I think for the company, if you're going to really build a product or a service and you say, hey, I'm expecting consumers to give me their hard-earned money, to give me their valuable time, you should at least be willing to invest in having their voices represented throughout and respected throughout the design and implementation of the work. It guarantees success on both ends. I could not agree with you more. I mean, I worked with, I did a presentation with a company earlier this year, um, was training on inclusive marketing. Afterwards, I got a ping from some people who had been doing research for a client and they wanted to get my perspective on the results because they were basically trying to understand the results for an African-American population and they were seeing something come out and they just couldn't understand why. So in the course of 20 minutes, again, I had zero background of any of this, but they were like, can we just show this to you and get what you think? And in the course of that time, I was like, oh, I think it's this. Um, This is what's happening. This is going on based upon just knowledge that I have every day from everyday living and life as a black woman. And they were like, Oh, we never would have thought of that, but they were, they were two white women. And 
I think that's um, like just kind of underscores what you were saying. Like it needs to be from start to finish uh, because you never know what things are being picked up on. It's not just about making people comfortable on the other side of the table as you're getting that. It's how do you interpret the information? Because there might be nuances that somebody who isn't familiar or doesn't have the intimacy, they're, they're going to completely miss it. Um, whenever they're going through, but like what questions should we be asking? So I think it's essential. And if people are focused on just, oh, we need to have representation from a moderator standpoint, it kind of feels like you're checking a box on your inclusion standpoint versus we're truly trying to build an inclusive brand. And that means we're not going to insert inclusion in certain aspects of the process. We want it to be there from start to finish. I'll tell you, I mean, that's a great point. We um, participated in a very, um, a very large scale project last year that went on for months. I won't say the brand or, or anything, but I'll just say it was a part of some naming work that took place because it went into field. One of the follow-ups that's happening is to actually participate in qual work, right? So, so after you kind of launched a campaign or launched a new name for a brand or done any of that work, you want to now be able to assess what's happening in market, right? So there's regular data that's being gathered from the internal teams, but then you also may want to go, especially if it's a, a very sizable piece of work and very notable piece of work, you want to just kind of gauge what's the market saying, what kind of feedback are you getting? And so we had the, the, the brand come to us this year and say, hey, we would love, because as a part of that work, we had done some qualitative interviews as well. And um, they were specifically looking and talk, wanting to talk to Black women, Black men, so Black consumers across different age groups. And so we had uh, moderators that fit into that pro- those profiles. And so um, they specifically wanted one of our um, Black women mo- moderators to come in and do about four rounds of research. And one of the things that they said in the note was, yep, we really loved her. We would love for her to come in and moderate the groups. We don't need her to write the discussion guide. Uh, We'll have a discussion guide already written. She can review it if she wants to make any small tweaks, but for the most part, we already have a discussion guide written. We'll analyze the results. We don't necessarily need a report from her, right? We don't need her to sit really in any meetings or calls, so there's no strategy component to it, (laughs) right? So it's just, okay, you want her to show up and read what you put in front of her on a piece of paper and talk to these consumers and create some form of connection and intimacy with them. But she has no, she'll have no knowledge of the project at the beginning. So coming in how you did when they were asking the question, but that's what sometimes that sometimes that happens, but it's almost like, but you don't want her to have any input afterwards, right? And again, you're missing that that team is missing navigating those nuances, which are so important. So I totally get it. And we're just like, we don't want to be a part of that. So I think we kind of got into it at one point. And like, when I say got into it, we, you know, we contracted for that work because it was an ongoing piece of work, but then we kind of had a step back. We kind of scratched our heads and said, this isn't, no, this isn't the thing. This isn't what we're doing, right? We're not doing this. Yeah. You know, it, it kind of feels like you're being used. And even though they're paying you and you're, you're helping them, it feels like they're being used to check an inclusion box. Yes, yeah. we did that. Yes, we engaged with them, but we don't need your help. Any and, and they're doing themselves a disservice because they're not getting the full benefit of the research um, and the insights because you're not doing research just for the sake of doing research. You're doing it for a purpose. And it just feels like you're, you're not getting 
um, the full benefit of it, but also it really feels like you're, they're missing opportunities to truly be an inclusive brand versus we need to just, this is how, this is, this is the thing that we need to do and let's just get it done. But like, we don't need you go off. off. We got this. <laughs> again, again it's, a part of it is because just from a, there's a, a two layer issue with this, right? Some mm-hmm. of it is just market research. So, so regardless of, if you're talking about, you know, black consumers, if you're talking about um, uh, Latino or Hispanic consumers, you're talking about Asian consumers, Native American consumers, whoever it is, it doesn't, there's already an existing issue. Like it's a pre-existing issue where yeah. you have some brand leaders that aren't really interested truly in learning from consumers anyway. They really want to just check the box to say, okay, we did this study to, to learn from them, but not really valuing the consumer's voice. And so now when we layer on top of that and say, oh, not only do you need to really listen to the consumers, but understand these consumers are different. You can't just bucket them all as rep. You can't just say, okay, we're just going to try this one thing. It'll work for everybody. And there's no nuance to that. And so again, you're, it's, it's changing them for some leaders. They already get that first part. They're not necessarily doing that. So it's the, the work is about the representation piece and the inclusivity piece. But there are some brand leaders out there and some, and I say that when I'm, when I'm saying brand leaders, not just at those higher levels, because they may get it, but it's those ABMs, it's the marketing managers, right? It's the analysts, it's some of the ones that are executing on those, on those plans and doing the work week in, week in and week out that really you're, you know, we're having to kind of retrain and re-educate and try to push and, you know, really try to um, help them understand the value yeah. of the consumer insights piece, as well as talking to them about representation now. So yes. it's a two-fold conversation. Yeah. Oh, we could talk about this for a long time, but I want to move us along. I want to move us along. Let's talk a little bit about um, best practices. So we talked about some areas where people are not quite getting it right, but do you have any thoughts or recommendations on um, best practices that people should keep in mind when they are conducting research from an inclusivity standpoint? I think the first thing is to identify your own biases, right? So even for me, it's understanding in what ways I may be approaching the work or anyone may be approaching the work from a privileged or biased perspective. And I think that's one thing we don't necessarily think of because we assume, you know, even as a Black woman, I could assume, well, how do I have any privilege? But I think I also have to think about it. There are people that are able differently, right? There are, um, I don't necessarily think about my gender identity in the same way. So my gender possibly, right? But not necessarily the identity of my gender as much as someone who may be a trans male or female. And so when it comes to how we're going through research and how we're, again, for products, if you're really trying to make sure that you're connecting with consumers, don't assume that just having a Spanish translation is all the work you need to do to connect with that consumer audience, right? Don't assume that all you have to do is put music and someone singing in a commercial to connect with Black people. And so I think it's really about, you know, making sure that you're speaking and learning from a cross-section of consumers within your target. Go to people, you know, don't forget people that are over the age of 65, right? There are people living um, longer and having plenty of disposable income and they still have needs. There may be special products or services that you can also create and supply because they have problems that they need to have uh, solutions for. And so I think socioeconomic levels, right? So I think some of the best practices I would say when it comes to inclusivity is making sure that you are 
checking your own biases at the door. But I think also, like we said, hiring a cross-section of moderators, right? And also people on your brand and in your in your office, you know, making sure that you have people that are helping design the work, helping lead the advertising, right, through your agency work. I think the the teams should reflect the consumers that you're serving. And if they yeah. don't, if they don't, you're probably not authentically um, and effectively serving those consumers. Absolutely. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron or could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs in a full 360 view of every customer so your go-to-market team can keep a pulse on accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. You've talked a little bit about making sure that you're getting a cross-section. So sometimes you might be interviewing people on the LGBTQ plus spectrum. Sometimes it might be older. Sometimes it might be um, the Latinx market. Sometimes it might be Black. When should people think about getting different cross-sections of people? Like I said, you said before, it's not about the general population anymore. We need to start, you know, being more specific. Are there times where, like, when should people think about, all right, we need to make sure that we get a view from different types of people to understand the nuances. I'm, I, I'm making this question up on the fly, so I might not be articulating it right, but I was wondering, do you, do you need to kind of clarify this a little bit more? I think, yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a clear question to understand because it can, the way I translate that and I, I hear it is, it also can be um, overwhelming for people to think as the brand leader to think, oh, wow, now I have to have research. Do I Do I need special groups of research, right? Do I need to kind of have five different rounds to make sure that I'm incorporating all these different voices versus the one or two rounds I was planning for. And what I would say is just making sure that when you're having consumer interviews, you know, you're having, you asking questions on the screener so that you get an idea of the ages of people, right? The genders of people, the races of people, whether or not, you know, if people want to share that, their um, orientation, sexual orientation, right? Um, You can ask them questions about, if they're able differently. Again, you want to ask questions in a respectful way, but if you're screening for certain things, you can also make sure that you're getting that cross-section. You know, you ask about, we ask household income all the time. We ask education level all the time. So asking those types of questions and making sure when you're going to pull the people that you're going to talk to in those uh, focus groups and interviews that you're pulling, you know, an assortment of people. They're not all kind of fitting the same on the same spectrum. What I also would say is, is even deeper to your question of how do you know when it should always, if you're trying to create a, an inclusive brand, right, you should always do this even across your segments. So you may have a segment that says, hey, this is a premium product. With this premium product, I know that it largely, like, is it appeals based on our data, based on what we've learned, but based on what we know about our brand and who we're targeting, right? Um, we are really trying to go after people that have household incomes of 150000 plus, 
right? Um, they have this education level, whatever that education level is. So you may come to some conclusions about what the, that segmentation looks like, but this still may be, hey, but across these levels, it may be, is race the factor that you need to make sure that you're getting a cross-section on? Is it, you know, again, lifestyle in certain areas, if it household size, right? Like, what are you missing in terms of, because you may just say, I want to talk to Black women, and it could be a, a whole, your consumer group could be about Black women, but even within talking to Black women, there are all these different, there, there are differences in terms of how these Black women show up, how they interact with the world, and who you may need to talk to, to learn from them in a way, you know, it may be that you're talking to extremely religious, like it may be how they approach religion because they're made, they're influenced by religion in a, in a more significant way versus some consumers that aren't uh, influenced by religion, you know, at all. Right. So it really is about mindset, lifestyle, belief systems, like trying to make sure that you're asking questions when you screen. And that's the biggest part. Most people throw away, you know, screener. They think, let me spend five minutes on screening for people. And they don't they don't take the time in understanding the importance of screening for the right folks so that you can have the conversation with an assortment of people and not just a limited group. So I would say inclusivity all the way through at every stage of the work and especially when it comes to screening for and selecting the consumers you're going to talk to. And in, in yeah. qualitative. OK, so I, I have a better idea of that because I. I think sometimes they can, if I understand what you're saying, if you're screening effectively, you're going to have a good cross section of people. Mm -hmm. Then after you do the research, whether it's a survey, whether it's interviews, you can then go and see if there are any big differences in the way people respond based upon how they've responded to the screener and like what differences and nuances. And that might give you reason to, oh, this one group has a big they're answering this question quite differently. We might need to explore this more deeply in a separate project. Is that kind of like how it might work? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Got it. <laughs> All right. So, but it's, it really goes with thinking with inclusivity in mind from the very beginning. It can help you figure things out as you're going along. Yes. All right. Um, when should a brand be thinking about doing primary research versus getting insights that they need from a secondary source? So it, there are a few factors um, that come into play when it comes to if you're going to do uh, primary or secondary research. What's your budget? You know, if you have any time constraints, if there's a lot of readily available data and information around the subject matter that you're trying to understand, the questions that you're trying to answer, if it's a what question versus why, what questions are things like that you normally manage in more quantitative type of research. So let's think about a survey, right? What percent of consumers want like this logo color versus this one, right? So, and the why is more of a qualitative conversation. You want a conversation so you can really dig deep. And so if you separate what's and why's, what are you trying to learn? Is it a what or why question, mm -hmm. right? Um, and how customized the actual research needs to be, right? Because for primary research, you can fully customize it because you're designing it and you're spending the money out money on it to go out and learn what you need to learn. However, for secondary research, you're pretty much at you're at the mercy of whatever exists, right? So you're trying to kind of piece things together, put it together, pull what are what already may be out there. So you don't necessarily get to customize it specifically for your brand or for your product or your service. You know, if you're looking, let's say for an example, to learn about users of your specific product or service and you know, their satisfaction with, with using it. That needs to be primary research because no secondary research is going to tell you how 
those consumers feel about your specific product, unless a competitor puts some research out there and, and, you know, they are telling you, hey, nobody likes your product or these are the issues that came up with your product, which probably isn't going to happen. But if you if you want to dig into the why's, you want to dig into some qualitative interviews, you know, you probably want to be able to customize that research. So it's, it's going to be primary research, right? If you're trying to really have a conversation, that has to be um, primary research. But if it's, you know, there are people that may be trying to learn about doing a landscape assessment and just understanding what exists, that there's a jewelry store that's thinking about opening up in, um, you know, some city in a rural part uh, or suburbs of Atlanta, let's say we're based in Atlanta, so I use Atlanta, then, you know, there's a lot of secondary data that may exist in terms of location specifics, like how much are companies of a comparable in that same uh, industry, how much are they making in that community, right? So there's there are some public access information that or data may be available. Um, some of it may be that you're able to learn and, and draw some conclusions around some data that may be available. You're able to see what other businesses may exist and get an understanding of, okay, these businesses seem to thrive and seem to always be positioned uh, beside other businesses that look and feel or design like this. You kind of can draw some conclusions, but for the most part, I would say, I'm, I'm sure I need to shorten this answer, but for the most part, I would really say it depends. There's so many different considerations that go into whether or not you need primary or secondary. But if you want to dig deeper and have it customized, you need primary research. If not, if it's, you know, if there's some readily available data out there that exists, you can dig into that and save yourself a little bit of financial resources. Yeah. And I think there are times where there will be some data that maybe you have, like some of your own customer data might be helpful. So for instance, earlier this year, I worked with a client who was working on helping. They wanted to get people vaccinated for COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, They were looking at their own data and realized that the Black and Latinx populations um, that they were serving were less likely to be vaccinated and then they wanted to understand why so they can put together a plan in place to help with that. They can look at their own data, but they can also look at national data or statewide data to be able to see the same thing. Um, So I guess that was an example of whenever they use existing data to be able to figure out, oh, we need to understand this a little more before we move forward. And I think thinking about like some of the people who would be on this call, um, who will be watching this later, I can imagine people saying, all right, if I looked at the people that I'm serving, maybe they're quite homogenous, right? Um, Or let's say we start with a number of women who come into an organization, but then after a certain period of time, they fall out. Like you can use your own data to say, for some reason, we're not able to keep women at the same rates as men. We need to figure out why that is not just, and so that kind of might help you figure out where you're not being inclusive at various parts of your customer experience. Perfect. Yep. That's very true. Okay. All right. What are some cost-effective ways that people can go about developing some of these insights? If they're, as they're trying to figure out, all right, I want to develop a deeper degree of customer intimacy. Like, is there ways that people might be able to do that if people are shy about being able to work with a market research company? Yeah. So we, and we talked about the secondary data, right? So because it's existing, um, it's essentially, I don't want to say it's free because it's still time. You still have to go out and find it, right? Research for the research, right? Um, and, and identify the usable data that makes sense for you. Um, and you can see if you can extrapolate any of that learning, if it's applicable for your brand or for your, you know, what you're trying to do on your business. 
and still leave room for learning from your own clients and customers. I think you can also build in learning throughout your process. So one of the things I would say is, you know, especially for product-based businesses, having some kind of feedback loop in your purchase process. So after purchase uh, surveying, after use surveying, in package uh, surveys or through QR codes or through links, right? Finding a way to kind of create that feedback loop that is a very simple thing that also makes your customer feel like, hey, they, they want to get my opinion. They want to learn from me. Send kind of those automatic uh, announcements or emails out to your list, right? Trying to get feedback from them, asking them questions. So I would definitely say for anyone that feels as though, hey, they may not have the budget for it, or they may be a little bit overwhelmed by the idea of working with a market research company. You know, there, there are survey tools out there, SurveyMonkey, SurveySparrow, Typeform, right? There's so many, and, and there's some that have free, free levels. So you can get the basic or the free level. And that allows you to build a very simple survey and, you know, be able to learn and get some of those, again, what answers, right? Get some percentages, start to be able to work with that data and understand it a little bit. One of the things I always used to tell people when I get asked this question about um, qualitative research and how to do it in a very um, cost-effective way was, you know, if you want, let's say you wanted to talk to college students or, you know, you were trying to attract at this time, this is when millennials were a bit younger. And so uh, a lot of businesses were trying to understand how to attract millennials. And so it was, hey, talk to some SGA offices, student government association offices. You know, you can take some pizzas to um, they can help you kind of get the students together, get the, the right students, but or, or gather them together and just to learn and understand. You take some sandwiches or pizzas, some gift cards, but you try to kind of have a sit down and learn from and understand. I think also, you know, learn from people that are within your own walls. Right. And again, this is it depends on the size of the business. If you are a company that has, you know, several employees and the employees are very similar to the co- the consumers that you're looking to serve. You know, do you learn from them? One of the things I'll say is about one of my former employees, uh, employers, excuse me, was that they did. Um, I thought they did a pretty good job of being able to get feedback from us as w- when as in, as employees of the organization without making us feel like we were being um, exploited in any way, right? So they it's a it's a fine line, but to make sure you're getting feedback and you're getting input and you're learning from the very people that you serve in the marketplace without making them feel exploited and making them feel like, hey, you're just using them, you know, to your point earlier to check a box. Got it. Okay. Super helpful. You can get scrappy <laughs> if you need yeah, to. Yeah, get very scrappy. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So what should people think about if they want to track their progress over time? Like if they haven't been inclusive, they want to start and they want to figure out like, how do I know how I'm doing in particular with certain audiences over time? Is there a way to, to do that? So are we speaking about larger organizations or is it, should I think in the mindset of a smaller organization? Let's say if you could go through like something that each one might be able to think about small, medium, larger. Yeah, well, the first thing I think about is that there are, um, this is probably for more medium and larger size brands. There are annual activities that happen like brand health updates, you know, brands are trying to check in. Even small brands may do this. They're trying to check in to assess, you know, Hey, how did, did, did the dollars that we spend generate um, a positive return on our investment, right? Did we, you know, how did our media perform in market, right? I don't think they have the exact same tools if you're a smaller business versus a, a, a multinational corporation. You may be using different tools, 
um, and it may not be as robust, but I definitely think that every company should already be kind of doing some kind of annual assessment to understand how they fared um, in that year. And as okay. they're moving forward, what recommendations they would make, but specifically for market research and how you can gauge that effect. And this one of those activities that does tend to happen annually is what we call an equity scan. And so brands going out and understanding, hey, what does the market think of me? And again, smaller brands that especially are product-based and even service-based businesses can do this as well. The after the uh, after purchase assessment, right? Um, the after use kind of assessment and being able to l- learn and understand, hey, when they think of, you know, when this customer or this mark, this person in the, in my target audience thinks about my brand, what words come to mind? You ask equity type of questions. You want to understand what characteristics and values are people assigning to your brand, to your product, to your service. And so with an equity scan, if businesses start to do that, they're able to gauge over time, have any equities changed? And they can ask an inclusivity question, right? right. They can start asking, is, is this brand, you know, which brands do you see as being inclusive? Do they make you feel like they are for someone like you, right? So you ask those types of questions and you start to understand from year to year to year, how are people responding to and answering those questions? Are you seeing your brand have more uh, ownership in terms of owning the equity of inclusivity? Does your competitor own it? Because of course, in equity, you want to gauge your competitors as well in the in that marketplace. Does your competitor own inclusivity? Is it something that neither one of you or none of you own? And it's a white space opportunity, right? And so then you even know what research you may want to do to understand, well, okay, nobody seems to own inclusivity and we have 50 brands that are competing in this space. You know, what do we have to do to start owning that, right? Or maybe that's just a great signal to say, hey, let's put ourselves out there and put ourselves up front and actually be dedicated and committed to this because consumers are seeing that nobody's owning this. Got it. Okay. Super helpful. We've covered a lot today, (laughs) Um, but I think it's a lot for people to think through and can help them get a lot of information, a lot of data that can help them show up differently and connect to the people that they're serving. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for business leaders who want to use market research to help them develop a deeper degree of customer intimacy with the people they're serving in their quest to build an inclusive brand? I always think consumers are a monolith, right? We're not a monolith. And many of the very consumers that companies are trying to serve really should be sitting in the offices of those businesses. They should be, uh, those companies should be partnering with agencies that again, represents those consumers that they want to serve. I think the fact that they aren't always invited to those com- into the conversations matters. And it sometimes shows up, right, in what they produce and what they put out into the marketplace. Um, so I definitely would say, you know, if I was sitting in those rooms, hire more diverse employees, bring them into the conversations, learn from them in an authentic and non-exploitive way, partner with agencies that represent these different uh, cross-sections of consumers to be able to create that genuine connection. And make sure at every stage of your research process, you are not just checking a box to have a face that looks like the consumers that'll be in the room, but you don't have that voice represented in any other aspect of the work. Actually be committed to inclusivity um, by being, you know, committed to inclusivity throughout the entire continuum of that project. Yeah. It's not just what you do externally. It's what you do internally as well. I agree. Yes. All right. Anita, thank you again. This has been super insightful, which is (laughs) I guess the right word for somebody who is a specialist in insight. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Very much a compliment. Thank you. (laughs) Renita had so many interesting things to share. And as you think about how to take action, here's a good starting point. 
ensuring that any research you do and that you want to take action on has a sample that is representative of the various identities you've chosen to serve. Having the right who in giving you the feedback and insights you're looking for will have a tremendous impact on what you do as a result of what you learn. That's it for today's episode. If you like this show, please do share it with a friend, colleague, or with your network. It really does go a long way toward helping more people discover the show and getting more people focused on inclusion and belonging. I also want to give a quick shout out to Amber Tiana, who left a lovely review for the show on iTunes. The headline reads, this is the podcast I've been waiting for. Totally made my day. Thanks so much for taking the time to share your feedback for the show. I'm so glad you're enjoying it and your review really does help the show a lot. Muchisimas, muchisimas gracias. And if you'd like to go deeper into the world of inclusion and marketing, get signed up for the Inclusion and Marketing Newsletter, where I share stories, additional insights, current events in the world of inclusive marketing, and more. You can get signed up at inclusionandmarketing.com and I'll have that link for you in the show notes so you can access it easily. Until next time, remember, everyone deserves to have a place where they belong. Let's use our individual and collective power to ensure more people feel like they do. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.